going. Hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. On Fridays, I talk about Surefoot. Well, most Fridays. Last Friday, I did live from uh, the um, Effortless Rider course where we had the balance trail and we used all the Surefoot pads for riders to help them find a better position. Um, I did it on Zoom from my iPad and that failed. So we fortunately had it recorded on a regular um, video camera and I was mic'd, so the sound's really good. Um, and that is available on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. Just look for balance trail from last week and you can see how you can use Surefoot to help you with your riding. Um, I think of Surefoot for riders as helping us learn how to deal with the unstable surface of the stirrup and not to brace against it and how to find your alignment. Um, and if you've ever seen uh, the video that I've done on Franklin balls, which are those uh, a variety of balls that you put underneath your seat bones to improve your position in the saddle, you can think of that as Surefoot for your butt because it's basically the same concept of working with an unstable surface to get your nervous system to pay attention, to uh, eliminate the habits that we have in relation to the saddle and help open our hip and align the, the body. So using surefoot pads when you're on the ground and using the Franklin balls when you're in the saddle are the, the really great companions to improving your riding and fit right in with the surefoot story of using unstable surfaces to get our nervous system to pay attention, to feel change, and to find something that's more effective. So today I've been asked to talk about stacking surefoot pads and combining surefoot with other modalities. Um, I'm gonna address that second one first, combining surefoot with other modalities. Um, and this is how I think about it. If I present you with a whole new concept that you don't know anything about, and you have to kind of figure out what that is all about. You need the time to just focus on one thing. So when you're starting a horse with Surefoot, it's really important to just do Surefoot because you wanna see how that horse is gonna react, how he's gonna respond, and give him the time to really focus. And, and that's what we see so often with horses is that they internally focus, they become self-aware um, and they have autonomy because we allow them to have choice. And I have seen, of course, I always talk about the very first horse I worked with. I only asked him to stand on a pad for 15 seconds and it completely changed the way he moved in 15 seconds. So we tend to think about, you know, doing more and more and more. And sometimes it's really important to do less, to keep the session short, 10 to 15 minutes to only use one pad. To, there's no uh, hurry. You shouldn't be in any hurry to try and get your horse on four pads or stack your horse or anything like that. Because the most important thing is that you are present with your horse, paying attention to what he is showing you, what is benefiting him, rather than trying to accomplish some goal that really doesn't matter. Um, there, there is instances where I, I, I think of this one horse in particular when I was in uh, the Netherlands, she was a very vigilant mare. She was the sentinel, you know, like had to keep track of everything and she was a riding clinic. And it took me 15 minutes for her to put a quarter of an inch of her left front foot on the pad. She 
wasn't sure about it. She was distracted. She was hollering at other horses. She was looking away. And I just quietly persisted in that I would present the pad, take her for a walk, come back, present it again, and really slowed the process down. However, after she felt a quarter of an inch of her left front foot on the pad, when she came back, she presented her left hind foot to me. And it was clear that she was telling me to put the pad under her left hind foot. And I was working with a physio pad. So I did that. And I didn't do it for very long. Um, I maybe spent a minute or two working on it after that. And then we had the rider mount and I might've done a little with the rider on. The next day, this horse came in looking like a Western quarter horse with her head down. It was amazing. Um, and the point here is that it really didn't take very much time or I, you know, what did I do? A quarter of an inch of left front foot and then left hind and that was it. So when we want to kind of hurry the horses along to get them stacked or get them on fuller pads, I think what, what we have to be careful of is to not have an end goal in mind of what the horse should do and really stay in the present of what is happening in front of you. Um, and that's sometimes it's so difficult for us to take that perspective because uh, if you have listened to Janet Jones, I, I loved her webinar, by the way, it was a great webinar. And if you haven't watched it yet, please go and watch that. Um, she's written the book, Horse Brain, Human Brain. You know, we have, we can see, think about the future and what this might be like and how this might work, but horses are totally in the present. And each time there's a, an opportunity for the horse, but the horses seeing it as a unique each time. And they don't have this idea of, wow, when I stand on four pads, this is how I'm going to feel. They, they don't have that thought. So it's really easy to overface them, especially in the beginning with four pads, because what I've seen is um, when I have a horse stand with a pad under each hoof, they'll do it once and then they are wasted for the rest of the set. That's it. We're done because there's so much input going into that nervous system. They're having to pay attention to where their entire body is in space. And many horses will instead take one foot off and put it on the ground and only have three hooves on a pad. So they need an anchor, a stable foot, a leg that has the familiar security of the ground without a pad and they're the, because the four is, is too much. Um, you know, I'm sure that you can all think of a time when someone presented information to you and you just were overwhelmed and it was like, whoa, this is great information, but it's more than I can take in right now. And that's what we really have to think about for the horses. It, we're not trying to blow their brain. We're, we're really wanting them to have time to process, to experience, to feel, to um, how does that relate when they go back to the ground? What happens when they go back to a you know, trot or a canter? Um, so the integration of each sort of packet of information each time they stand on a pad is, is important. Um, and again, I've, I've seen so many amazing changes with the tiniest bit of a foot on a, on a pad or, you know, seconds, literally seconds. Um, so just keep that in mind. And so when you're thinking about combining Surefoot with other modalities, the, the way I look at it is, first of all, each modality needs to be introduced to the horse individually. In other words, if you're going to do a Tellington Touch, the horse is familiar with Tellington Touch. 
If you're going to do Masterson, the horse is familiar with Masterson. If you're going to do um, MagnaWave, the horse is familiar with that. If you're going to do acupuncture, the horse is, so, so they're familiar with each modality. And at the same time, they've had an experience with Surefoot. Now, in a single session, can you do a little bit of Surefoot and then stop doing Surefoot and do a little bit of massage and stop doing massage and do a little bit of master? Yes. Um, and some horses, you can only do a little bit. They can only, you know, five minutes or 10 minutes on pads and that's all they want. And so you can then switch gears and go to another modality, which is kind of like, um, you know, if you're, if you're busy working on the computer and trying to solve something and you stop for a second and you walk over and you have a conversation with someone else, and then you can come back to it. So even if you're not working on it at the moment, there's still some processing going on in background. So it's super important that the horse is familiar with each modality, including stretching, um, before you start combining things. And um, Felicitas von Neumann-Cosell, she's amazing. Um, her webinar is amazing, where she talks about using Surefoot and she does stretches with her horses on Surefoot pads and she stacks her horses and does stretches with Surefoot pads. But her horses are very experienced in stretching exercises and Surefoot. So combining it is not a big stretch for those horses. Um, and they're in a very uh, regular routine. Um, you know, they're, they learn how to learn. So that's not a big stretch. But say you have a horse that uh, may be new to you or hasn't really learned how to learn. Maybe he's been in kind of a rigid program where they're just told what to do. Um, I can think of like a thoroughbred off the track. It's, it's such a different routine than a riding horse. Um, and then if you want to do surefoot and combine it with stretches and do all these, it's going to, it's too much for them. It's overwhelming. So make sure that you have introduced your horse to each of the modalities that you want to use individually or separately. And even if that's in the same session, that's okay. Um, provided you're really paying attention to the horse and the horse is, is receptive to the different ideas that you're presenting. And once you see how they respond to each of the modalities, then, and I would say not that session, but another session, you can start to combine them. Um, you know, using Surefoot with T-Touch, it's lovely. The horses really like that. Um, using Surefoot with Masterson method or with acupressure or um, in Europe, phys animal physical therapists combine the physio pad with something called Neurostim, which is a piece of equipment that they use on the horses. When you're gonna combine, this is where choice of pad is important. So for the folks over in Europe that are using Neurostim, they're using the full physio pad. It's only an inch and a half thick. It has the inch of hard with the half inch of medium. So they're providing them with a, a, a pretty stable surface, right? That's why we designed it is to bring comfort, but not too much instability um, because we designed it originally for farriers. So there you're getting the benefits of Surefoot, but not the challenge of Surefoot while you're doing a different modality. Um, and I think for things like MagnaWave, that would probably be a really good choice, um, certainly in the beginning, because if, if the pads are a, a big challenge, 
say we're using mediums, which are springy and they're a big challenge, you know, the horse is going to be occupied with processing that and how much is going to be available to focus on something else. Um, you know, it's important to keep in mind that their brain is very different from ours. There's a lot of similarities. And this is, was so interesting listening to Dr. Jones and talking to Stephen Peters um, and then learn, talking about vagal nerve in people because we all have vagal nerve. So we all have that social engagement piece, the fight and flight piece. And, you know, I tell the story about when someone's, uh, a person has to go to a dinner party and they walk in the room and they feel uncomfortable the way a horse would walking into a strange arena. So we have these similarities in our nervous system. We both have a brainstem, we have an autonomic nervous system, we have vagal nerve. Um, and then the differences are that we have a frontal lobe, we can conceptualize and we can, uh, I've forgotten what she called it, categorical perception, I think is what she called it, where, you know, if I see a pen, okay, this is a pen, this is another pen, this is a pencil, but I, all, I know they're all instruments with which I can write. To a horse, those are all unique things. They don't, they can't generalize. Categorical function, thank you. I, I don't know why I struggle with that. Um, and that's what Dr. Jones was saying is that they can't generalize that each thing that they see or experience is unique. A log here is not the same as the log over there. That's a different log. And so they see it as, a, as something separate, something different. This big rock is different from that big rock. They don't see it as this is a rock and that is a rock. They're both rocks. They see them as different. So given that, um, I think it's really, oh yeah, I'll talk about that. Um, I think that it's really important to recognize that what we see are great combinations of things and easy for us to generalize and go, oh yeah, I, I could do you know this, I could be standing on a sure foot pad and do some massage or do this and that and the other. Horses may not be able to make the associations. Um, so um, Joanne, and Joanne's absolutely right. She says, Surefoot with Equibo fits nicely together. Surefoot first has been a bit of an anchor to settle, but then they're always able to walk away from either. Yeah, and that's really important. Equibo is terrific. And I, I miss all you guys up there in Canada. You were so much fun. Um, so that's the thing is, it's important for us to recognize, you know, that we don't want to overload their nervous system. We want to make sure that they're okay with each of the ideas. And, oh, um, maybe we can have Joanne's pipe up and, and talk about Equibo. Uh, let me know, Joanne, if you wanna raise your hand and, and talk about it. Um, but then we can combine. And the thing to remember when you're combining is you wanna keep your sessions shorter in the beginning to make sure you're not overloading the horse. Make sure that you're not putting in too much information you can't undo what you've done. And they may not be able to make, you know, process all the information that's coming at them. Um, and like I said, some horses, I've met horses that instantly, they're used to body work, they've experienced a bunch of different kinds of body work, 
and I bring the Surefoot pads out and they're like, oh, I got this. I know this is fantastic. I love it. I know exactly. I get to let down um, and they can process where other horses are not used to doing, doing introspection and feeling different experiences. And so to them, it's like, whoa, this is way too much. So I'm just going to let Joanne um, respond here because she has raised her hand. There you go. Hi, Joanne. Oh, you have to unmute. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. So let me just introduce you so people know who you are. Um, Joanna is a veterinarian in Canada, in Ontario, right? Yes. And, um, she attended the Surefoot workshop I did there in 2019, right? Yes. Um, and um, so Cheryl Gibson, who's the creator of Equibo, brought me up and I got to work with uh, a whole bunch of Equibo people and it was fantastic. Um, and Joanne is also one of our resellers in Canada. So if anybody's listening from Canada and is looking for Surefoot pads, you can contact Joanne. So welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, yeah, this is exciting. Yeah. So um, we, uh, just give everybody kind of a little brief overview of what Ecrobo is all about. Okay. Well, as you mentioned, um, Cheryl and Simone Usselman Todd created Ecrobo. It's... Um, it's developed um, in part, at least from Bowen technique, which was uh, from Australia as a, as a human modality. And there's also a cranial sacral component as well. It's, um, it's a, a series of gentle moves um, that helps the body rebalance itself by, by stimulating muscle and nervous function. And it's, um, it's a fairly light tight, excuse me, a light touch. And then um, between the moves, there's a, there's a brief wait period, um, similar to Surefoot in that the horses um, have a few minutes to process what's going on. Um, so typically we start at the hind end and then do the center of the body and then the head. And then there's um, some specific movements for, um, specific conditions, um, working on um, the legs or uh, the internal organs or um, the back. So and it's very gentle. Yes, it's extremely gentle. And most of us, when we were learning it, experienced, at, experienced it ourselves and we were learning on each other. And so it, it was a very good, um, education in how very light touch can make such a difference to ourselves. And, yeah. And one of the things that, that I saw with working with all of you, in fact, a number of them are Surefoot practitioners now uh, in Canada, um, was that because it's such light work, you were all very tuned into small and tiny little subtle changes that the horses had when they were on the Surefoot pads. So to me, a, a big part of the training that you go through is in observation and being able to pick up on the very subtle things. It was, it was really interesting. Yeah, so typically we do a lot of observing before we start to work with the horse and then um, even partway through the process, uh, the horses are free to move as they choose. And, and I treat a lot of horses that are just more or less at liberty. So I, I kind of go with them. And, um, you know, sometimes you can see the changes um, 
almost instantly. Sometimes it's, it's more than one session to make a difference. Um, but certainly it's not a very restrictive process for the horse. Right. And um, like I said, the thing that I was so struck by is that with Surefoot, it's so much about the observation, because if you don't see the subtle changes the horse goes through, you, you would think that nothing's happening, but um, all the Equivo people were so quick to see these because of the training that they had um, to see like little muscle shifts or twitches or fascial changes or weight shifts. And, you know, that's, that takes time to learn to be a good observer. I think that that is something in our education that we don't tend to focus on enough, um, just in general in education is to be a good observer. And of course, Dr. Feldenkrais said that if you don't know what you're doing, you can't do what you want. So the, the ability to observe things is so critical to being able to know where to go or what to do or whether to continue or whether to stop, um, whether that's Surefoot or Equibo and, and, and quite frankly, any other technique, a really good practitioner is observing those little tiny changes to sense how the horse is responding and whether or not they need to wait or they can go on and do something else. Absolutely, and, and a significant parting, part of the training with Cheryl um, was um, more or less thinking how little can you do to make the difference you want to make and, and giving the horse time to balance itself. Um, we did have Cheryl Gibson on for a webinar um, that was last summer. It, it's hard to believe that it's been so long since I talked to her, but maybe Joanne, you could come back sometime and we could have a webinar with you and you could show us some, uh, tell us more about Equivo. Sure. I'd love to. Great. Okay. So we'll do that. Um, so I'm just going to, uh, I'm going to mute you again, just so that you, you go away on my screen. Thank you so much. Uh, let's see. There we go. All right, so um, I think that's a great idea to have Joanne come on as a guest. Um, it's, it's really interesting to, to watch horses with Equibo. All right, so that's basically the idea is that a horse that is, you know, had Equibo or, or been having body work and chiropractic acupuncture, they're more tuned in, just like the person is, is more tuned into the subtleties of uh, changes with that kind of work. And so when you combine Surefoot, it, it's a natural fit. Um, and that's one of the things that I love about Surefoot is that it can, you can combine it with, with, you know, whether it's training, whether it's Equibo, whether it's Tellington Touch, whether it's Masterson Method, uh, whether it's, you know, MagnaWave, it fits so well with all of these modalities because of the basic principles. And this is um, what Joanne was just saying is, you know, allowing the horse to choose, letting them have a voice, allowing them to move off, um, recognizing if they've been trained to stand like a driving horse and they're therefore showing them that they can move. Um, that's where we allow the horse to have autonomy to have the ability to decide, wow, I've stood on this pad long enough and I need to walk off. Now I always tell people, just remember if your horse doesn't wanna leave the pads, you do have to be a good parent and decide, okay, you've been there for a few minutes and this is your first time. And so let's have you walk so that you can take that experience back to the ground and that we don't overdo it. And 
Um, you know, the classic story is um, someone I know down in Texas and she, she listened to me the first time and she just did a few minutes. And then the next day she got really excited. And so she did a whole lot more. And the next day her mayor said, no, I'm sore. I do not want to do this again. Um, and so it's just important to keep that in mind. You can always do it again. You can always lengthen your time a little, but if you do too much, you can't undo it. All right. So, um, so I think it's just, that's the key is make sure the horse isn't introduced to the different modalities separately, then combine, keep the session short, pay attention. Um, you can stop one modality, you know, like you might be doing some Masterson, you could stop that, do some Surefoot and then come back. Um, and the horses will tell you if, if they're done with the pads, they'll tell you, they won't stay on them. They'll kick them away. They'll avoid them. They'll walk off. And so it, it gets pretty obvious. Um, all right. So then stacking is the other question. And here again, um, it, when people see a, a horse stacked on surefoot pads, the tendency is that you want your horse to stand on stacked surefoot pads. But it, it's really important to recognize that it's, it's not a goal. It's not something that must be done. It's something that if it's appropriate for the horse, you can stack. Um, let's see if I can find the horse that I stacked uh, for the first time with, with a triple stack was a horse that was a barrel racer and he could no longer turn right. And he, he was no longer barrel racing, but he couldn't turn right. And when I stacked him, he was so comfortable having three pads under his right front foot, but he would only want one pad under his left front foot. And it didn't have to be um, one pad under the left with three pads under the right. It was sometimes just three pads under the right. And that brought him a tremendous amount of comfort. He And his sternum was perfectly vertical, which was the really, really interesting thing. He said he didn't tilt his rib cage at all when I stacked him like that. And I am looking for those pictures because I have to admit, I was not prepared for my webinar today because I am leaving tomorrow to do a surefoot workshop. And I and so I'm trying to get caught up on things. Um, but let me just look through here and see if I can find those pictures. Um, but he, he was super comfortable in that position of three under one and none under the other. And so Oftentimes when I'm stacking, it's because I see something that leads me to think that that might help. Um, uh, case in point, horses that are low withered, they're lower in front than behind. I'll stack them in front to bring the front end up so that they can feel a different balance. Oh, here's a horse stacked. I'll just show you this one. Um, so you can see what I'm talking about. So we started out with um, medium in front and firm slants behind. And then I added uh, the soft on top. And what's really interesting is to see that she's not terribly square here and she has her head way over her left front foot. But then when I stacked her, she got very square. Um, typically now when I stack, and this was this was early on in the process. I'll stack with the hard pad on the bottom 
because what I'm trying to achieve is some height. So if I start with the soft pad on the bottom, it's gonna have a lot of squish and then it's not necessarily gonna give me height. Um, we, are, we have prototypes of a base block, which is a three inch hard block um, to use for stacking, but we haven't brought it into production yet. Um, so I've been waiting on that. But the whole idea here is that we're gonna give the horses a little bit of height and at the same time, we want them to be able to still have the same um, ability to feel differences, to sway, to, um, you can see here in this case, if you look at her knees, you can see how she's got so much more weight on her left front in this picture, because you can see how her knees are not at the same level. So you can really see it here. Um, and so they can still sway, they can still experience those differences. And of course, with the soft, there's going to be a lot more give. And that's why the pad has molded up around her foot like that, because it has so much more give. Um, just one word of caution with surf foot pads with the soft ones. When you see them come up around the hoof like this, that blue surface layer, it gives, but then it kind of comes back on the hoof. And yeah, it hasn't happened very often. I'm talking that I know of about two, maybe three times where the pad stuck to the foot because it kind of molded around the foot if the horse is on it for any length of time. So you just always wanna pay attention when they're stepping off a soft pad that they've been standing on for a few minutes that it comes away from the foot, okay? Cause you can really see how in this horse it's molded up around her foot. Um, and here you can see how she's shifted and she's leaning more to the right. Okay, and what's interesting now is how much her head is in the middle and how square she is. So if I just go back a few pictures, here you can see that she's got her head oriented way to the left and this left front is a little bit forward. And then here we can see how now she's much more in the middle. Um, and I have a little video. So given how soft that is, that there's going to be, in this case, a lot of sway, right? And you can see how when she turns her head, she's shifting her ribcage quite a bit. And I'll, I'll play this a couple of times because I know on Zoom video breaks up. But as she's moving her head around while she's stacked with the soft pads on top, there's any little sway or swing becomes more accentuated because of the, the amount of padding underneath her feet, right? So here you can see her eyes really soft, but when she moves her head, she swings and just watch the rider. That's actually sometimes the better thing to watch because that's like a pole um, over the horse's back and it's gonna express any movement that she's doing um, greater because of the radius from the rider, from the pelvis to the top of the head. So now what I'll do is I'll just drag this video a little bit again, to just help you see. So she's got her head down to the left. And as she brings it up, she swings way over to the right. Even though her head is slightly tilted left, the head weight is pretty much in the middle there in line with her chest, even though her head's a little tilted. Here she's swinging more to the right. And what we can see here now is if we look at the rider's feet, we see that they're not level. And you can see that rider's line is angled the top of her head to the right. So now she's kind of brought her head over a little bit. There's our eye blink. 
And here now she's starting to shift her weight from right to left. And if again, if you watch the rider's feet, you see how suddenly the left foot is lower. So now we have the feet angled the opposite direction. So she's rotated her whole rib cage over to the left, swings her head to the left, her body weight to the right. Okay. And as her head comes back, her weight still to the right. And now she's countered with her head to the left. So one of the things about this that I want to point out is that when we're riding and we think of taking the reins, and I think of it as on a younger horse, I have to do more of an opening rein and kind of lead the horse in the direction that I want him to go so that he learns to follow his nose. But as a horse progresses in their training, I want to do less and less of that because of exactly what we see here that when she swings her head over, so if we're using a big opening rein to turn, she's thrown her weight in the opposite direction. So if we're tracking to the left, because this is the left side, and we take her nose to the left, but her weight drops to the right, she's gonna fall out on the circle. So the, when we see a horse shifting this much, we already can get an idea that under saddle, if I take that rein, I'm actually gonna cause her to be more unbalanced rather than helping her turn in the direction I want her to go. Does that make sense to everybody? Hopefully, if not, just say something in the, in the chat. And here we can see she swings her head over and now this is different, right? The rider is pretty much in the middle. We can see that she's pretty vertical. The chest is upright and the weight looks more even on the two feet as she turns her head. So now she's moving more through her spine rather than leaning. And then she goes back to leaning. And I think she just cocked a green foot there, folks. So there's a great difference between leaning when the head moves and bending through the spine when she turns her head like that. And so this is something that we can see using surefoot pads, and in this case being stacked. Um, here's, a, we've got another video of her. I'll just drop the sound out and I'll let it play. And we can see we've got the lovely soft eye. And this time she had her head, she started out with her head to the right, but the, there's a big open door on the left there that it's a, the wall is there, but she's looking over the wall, right? And so again, we see that head oriented over the left front when she takes her head to the right. Look at how much movement there is in the rib cage. And then I'll play that back again. I'll just let it run first and then I'll slow it down. So here she's more even, right? Then she sways and has rotated her rib cage a little right, then a little left, right? As she brings her head back, it's oriented over left front. As she takes her head to the right, she sways rib cage, sorry, yeah, rib cage left and then come back and kind of almost like a bit of a, a ping pong ricochet, right? So if I drag this slowly, you can see here, she's a bit more square. Right there, she actually gets more even. So if I go from here to here, watch how the chest line, the chest line comes back into the middle. The rider's feet are much more even. That's telling us that the weight's more even on the two front feet. And then she starts to rotate the rib cage. Watch how the rider's right foot is starting to get closer to the ground. And then she sways her rib cage back 
and forth. And now she's got more weight here on the right front. Rib cage rotated slightly. As she brings her head back, the weight is still here on the right front. And then she's gonna make a shift. Watch how the rib cage right here starts to appear. So on the left side, you start to see the rib cage come out and then you see it comes out more and more. But then what we see is how she's uh, bringing the weight like past this shoulder, right? And there she's still on the left front and she shifts her weight to the right front as she brings her head back. And now she's got a, a lean happening. And you can see how her head and chest, look at this line of the chest right here, the sternum, and you can see how the pecs on the left are high and low on left on right. But you can see this angle, right? So she's leaned over and then she starts to come back. And now I'll just play it in real time so that you can just watch for all those little subtle movements again. So with stacking, in this case, there's more movement. We've raised her up in front a little bit. I'm trying to remember if the snare was low in front. Uh, I think she was low in the withers. Um, she's not built downhill, but she wasn't bringing, engaging her thoracic sling and lifting her chest. Um, and we can see that not happening in the way she swings uh, because she swings left to right and has very little time in the middle. Their head is oriented over her left front again. Yep. And so you can see how she chose to step off and I'll just play that again. So you can see when they're stacked and this is one of the things you really need to pay attention to. When they're stacked and they have to come off the stack, some horses don't know how to do it. They'll get stuck. And what I do there is I walk over, I pick up their foot, I kick the pads with my foot out of the way and I put their foot up back on the ground because they're, they're not sure. And you don't want them to get worried in any way at this point. The other thing is stacking is rougher on your pads because when they come off, if they slip one, right? Like you can see how she lifted her foot and stepped off, but they can step on the edges. And so it's just harder on your pads, right? Um, and this is just the, the configuration that I had. And I'm trying to see if I can blow this up and see. Yeah, I can't. Um, so just know that if you're going to do a lot of stacking, it is harder on your pads. They're going to show more wear and tear. They'll still work, but they're going to show wear and tear. Uh, oh, okay. I, I will never mind. Oh, the video is clear. Great. Um, so uh, let me see if I can find Felicitas. She does a lot of stacking with her horses. But again, they're very familiar with Sheriff. Oh, here's the horse I was telling you about, the one I wanted to show you. Um, the barrel racing horse. Look at that. I have, let me just get that on out of this so I can get back to Zoom. Continue screen share. So here I have him just double stacked right front. Um, and here I triple stacked him. And so why I was stacking him is because of the way he was moving. Um, he was falling in on the right shoulder. He couldn't turn, he'd just fall in. So when I put three pads underneath his right front foot, 
the thing to notice is here are the knees, right? The right knee is clearly significantly higher than the left knee. When we look at the chest, it's almost vertical. The sternal line is almost vertical. So what this says to me is that when we stacked him, this entire shoulder blade slid up over the ribs. So if, if this is the ribs, the shoulder blade slid up over the ribs because that's the only way I can figure that the chest can remain in the same orientation with the vertical sternum, but the knees are that different. Now in some horses, you can see a little bit of rotation, you can see by your feet, but not equivalent to uh, six inches. Um, so here he is just on one pad. And again, notice how vertical the sternal line is. So what does that mean to me? Well, when he's turning right, if he doesn't engage the thoracic sling, the chest can move relative to the shoulder. When we're stacking, we're moving the shoulder relative to the chest. Now here you can see, this is when we see a difference in the chest line. You can see how the pecs are high right, low left. We can see her feet are unlevel. We can see that the breast collar now has an angle to it. So this is where I think the way I interpret it is that when I stack the horse and the shoulder blade does not slide, we tilt everything over. And it's interesting to see how his left front is pegged more toward midline. In other words, here's the point of his shoulder. And in theory, his left front foot would be a couple inches more to the left, but he's got it kind of planted more midline. And again, here's the chest. Look at the pec muscles. They're really quite level. The sternal line is quite even. And he's on four inches, two firm pads. So you can see how different the knees are. But if you just looked at the chest, you would have no idea that was happening. There's a little video. And as you can see, he was quite pleased with this idea. He was watching another horse there, but we saw some licking and chewing. He had no desire to leave. He was very comfortable on this configuration. And very comfortable stacked on three. So here he is stacked on three, but again, now you can see what's happened in the chest, how angled it is with the pec muscles and that the sternum is rotated over. And, and this leg is now actually more under his shoulder, more square than it was before. Again, this leg is now moved to the left a bit and it's more squarely under him, could come over a little bit more, but now this leg is also, we've got more width between the front feet, in other words. We have a bit of angle in the chest, but he's on three pads there, again, only a tiny change in her feet. Let's see what this video does. So I guess my point is that I tend to stack for a reason. I tend to stack because the horse is, you know, struggling with a canter lead. He leans over. Um, he seems very lateral. I might stack a diagonal. Um, but 
you know, it's not like I'm just stacking for the sake of stacking. I typically stack because I have a thought about how that horse's balance is that I want to bring his attention. And, you know, there's a number of horses where I thought a stack would be a great idea. And they were like, absolutely not. And they just slide the top pad off the bottom pad and, and then stand on one or step off completely. Um, so I'm going to play this video again and I'm going to see if I can uh, zoom in on it a little bit. I'm not sure I can. Nope, I can't, but I'll just drag it. So here, look at the width now that we have between the front feet. He's much more square in front. His chest is, is level here, but his head is over to the left. As he brings his head to the right, watch what happens in the chest, right? We have more angle, her feet are angled a little more. We get a nice little lick and chew. As he comes across more, it actually, shifts, watch from here to here. He sways a little to the left as he keeps turning his head. So cute, right? Now we can see how angled the pec muscles are. But now as he comes around further, it starts to get a little more level. And you can see it just kind of, then it kind of stays a little bit angled and then he comes back again. So here what I've done now is brought attention to that diagonal. So double stack left, right front and double stack left hind. Um, and these are the old pads because those are yellow tops. <laughs> so this is an old picture. Um, but again, I've stacked that diagonal. What I really like to see is that this left front is coming more and more squarely under him. So you can stack on a diagonal. Now on the opposite, it was a single pad and look at how this leg is almost too far out now and his chest is angled in the opposite direction. Okay, I mean, just wasn't very interested, if you will. You can see a difference in his face when I did the opposite diagonal. He's got this foot kind of parked out. He's gotten really quite wide, little tongued out there. Um, and then look at this really slopey sternal line, uh, sorry, uh, pec line. Nope, another horse. So, so like I said, when I'm stacking, usually I, there's a reason. Um, did the, oh yeah, he absolutely moved better after that. Absolutely, um, he could turn right, which was really cool. And so that's the thing is, if you're going to stack, you want to kind of think about why are you doing this? What is it that's kind of in your thought process? Um, a lot of times if I see a horse that's low in front, withers down, um, that is confirmationally built that way, I just want them to know what it feels like to be up in front. So I'll double stack them. Um, I use my hard pad. Those are really old pictures. Um, I use the hard pad as the base to create some height because it's going to be firm enough to stack something else on top and actually create that height. So if I use something too soft, um, I'm not going to gain the height that I'm looking for. Um, I will caution you with your medium pads. They really do not like to be stacked. Um, the material is so springy that it's a lot of stress on them, especially if you've put them like in the middle somewhere. So um, I would caution you about using the medium pads when stacking. They just, it's just hard on them as because the material is so springy and there's so much give going on with the load that um, it's just, you're going to cause more damage. Um, but Again, hard base pad, 
a firm pad on top. I do a lot with a hard slant on top of a hard pad. So I get a little height and then I create an angle. So that's actually one that I've done a lot. And I've done that with, um, I know I have some pictures. Let me just see if I can find them. Um, oh, this was another really interesting horse. Okay, hang on, I'll, I'll show you this one. Um, people have asked me in the past about horses that are high-low. That's another time when I'll stack. So this horse, and I'll, sh I'll show you how high-low he was. Um, because then we put them on pods and when we put them on pods, it became really obvious. So that was, he'd been on pads before. I stacked him first, but when I put him on pods, you could see just how much toe load heel and heel load we had. Um, but I first double stacked him. This is a pair of hard pads to gain a little height. And just look at what's happening in the chest here. It's really angled. And funny enough, he's resting a hind foot. Let's go back. So, so this is not unusual to see this kind of shift in the muscles and in the chest when you're stacking one one foot. Um, and again, he knew he could walk off. He was very comfortable hanging out there. Um, I think it was probably alleviating something. And uh, this was after I messed with pods for a while. I used a firm slant and a pod. And I'm trying to, I have a little video of this horse. Let me just see the, I'm not sure it's. But after I did the pods a couple times, you can already see how much more even he is. And even there, it's way more even. You can see how the load is coming so much more squarely into each pod that the weight's distributed. This is the video. So when we got to pods, just watch his uh, fetlock joints and you can really see how he was experimenting with shifting his weight left and right and the change in the angle in the fetlocks as he did that shift. And he was, you know, we did this several times and each time we came back to the pods, he got more and more equal on both front feet until we had this video. Oops, ah, just see, this is another stacked horse. Yeah, this is another horse that I stacked. Uh, again, a diagonal issue um, and I double stacked on the diagonal. So I tend to do, uh, I go to the easy diagonal first. If it seems like there's a diagonal where the horse can pick up that dying that foot on that diagonal easier. I'm going to start there and then I'll switch to the opposite one. And here you can see how he's got his head way past his front foot right there. So you can stack on the die. Oh, this is that was that high low horse. You can stack on the diagonal. You can stack in front. You can stack behind. Behind you got to be careful. You're you know especially if it's a low in front horse, you're going to really put him on the forehand. There are occasions when I will set a horse up like that intentionally to just make him have more of a feeling of what that's like. He's always already going there. And then I just kind of make it obvious and then I'll switch it and I'll stack him in front. Um, yes, it can provide an awful lot of relief, Janella. And that's really, 
you know, it's one of the things that's so fascinating about Surefoot is all the different ways that we can use it. Um, you know, I've talked about emergencies and as a warm up, we have a barn where they stop lunging the horses altogether and just use Surefoot pads. They didn't, they didn't lunge them anymore. And that's gonna take a lot of stress off the limbs. So um, can I comment on offering versus insisting? Yes. Um, so it is, so what Joanne is asking is, can I comment on offering versus insisting and thinking they need a certain arrangement? We're so, we tend to be so goal oriented in that we, we want to accomplish something that we've seen somebody else do. And it is so important to listen to your individual horse and what they are interested in on any given day, which can change day to day. Um, so if I think of it as an offer, you know, if like, I, if you like ice cream and I say, would you like an ice cream? You go, yeah, well, would you like chocolate or vanilla? I like chocolate. Great. So you can only pick between two, but if I said they're strawberry, you have three. The thing is you could refuse the ice cream. I don't like ice cream or I'm lactose intolerant, or, you know, I really like Rocky Road, but I don't have that choice. So I'll take vanilla. Um, it's so important to present in a way that they have a voice. And we don't even realize when we are goal oriented and then start insisting that the horse stand on a pad or insisting that they stay on a pad. And it's insidious. I, I can't tell you how many times I've worked with a rider and she's gonna mount, but we're on the ground at that moment. And I offer a horse a pad and he starts to walk off and she's like, no, stay, stay. You've got to stay on the pad. It's like, no, they don't. We, we don't realize how much we want to control and regulate everything they do. Now, I understand that this is a very large beast and there's a huge safety factor involved. And that's my number one priority is that when you're using Surefoot or handling your horse at any time that you, you use safe best practices to because they are large and stuff happens. Just last night, I had the mayor who decided she was going through the gate even though I wasn't ready for her to go through the gate because I was late. Um, and I'm gonna change my approach tonight because that's not appropriate and someone could have gotten hurt. So safety is always number one. Once that has been taken care of, it's really important that the horse recognize that he has an option and it's not about making him stand on four pads or making him stand on stacks or, you know, I think what you can see in the pictures that I've shown you is that the horses are staying there, not because we made them, but because they're choosing to. And that is a very different intention, which is going to res result in a different result. Um, we recently, it's about a month or so ago, had someone put a video up on our fans page and it was like, you know, I bought these really expensive pads and my horse won't stand on them. And she did it in, it was condensed time, but what you got from that video was the insistence rather than the ask. And horses know the difference. Um, they absolutely know the difference. And if you're going to offer your horse Surefoot, it's really important that you're coming from an ask, not an insistence. Now, you know, if you're late and you're rushing into the barn and you've got 10 minutes to ride and, you know, you, you don't do it. Just get on and ride your horse because it's going to be too hard for you to switch gears and be present. But if you get to the barn, it's raining and the indoor is flooded. 
you know, that's a great time to go, well, let's just see what happens. I can work with this in a quiet place here in this little paddock or, you know, in an open environment, or if my horse is really used to surefoot pads and I have a big enough stall, it, you know, I tend to avoid stalls because as Rebecca Housted explained, you're dealing with a bomb in a box. <laughs> and I know that's a bit dramatic, but, um, you know, I have had a number of experiences where it felt like a bomb in a box and I was in the box with the bomb. Um, so that's just a good analogy to keep in mind. Um, so just to always keep in mind, you know, are you asking the horse in a way that someone is asking you what flavor of ice cream would you like if you would like an ice cream versus you got to stand on these things because I want you to do this. And the result will be completely different. Um, and the, the what you learn will be fascinating. And I think that that's the thing that um, has kept me going with this project for so long is that I find it so fascinating to observe horses when given an opportunity to become self-aware, to become introspective, to explore for themselves without someone telling them how they should feel or what they should do. And it changes relationships. And I've seen that so many times with people and heard so many stories um, where the interaction between the horse and the person after using Surefoot has completely changed because the horses recognize suddenly that we're listening. And that's really one of the, the amazing things that I find about this that I find about the work in general um, is it gives us an opportunity to really look at how we interact with our horses and what it is we're really saying with our intention. And when we shift that gear, how quick they are to respond. So we've come to the end of our hour and <laughs> I know I was <laughs> hungry for ice cream. So have a fantastic weekend. Uh, enjoy your horses, enjoy Surefoot with your horses, and take a moment to just be present with them while they are having a blissful experience. And we'll see you next week. Um, I can't remember who my guests are, but um, we'll, we'll send out that email. So make sure you're on the Murdoch Method mailing list. So you get the email on Sunday and Joanne will be in touch to schedule you for a webinar. I'll just, that would be fantastic to have you as a guest. And thank you all for joining me again. Have a great weekend. Bye.